you don't know how excited I was to enter and behold one of college basketball's hallowed halls. Fog Allen Fieldhouse is the home of the Kansas Jayhawks, and this is no modern edifice, which is why I'm so excited. Construction on the fog began in 1952, and it was dedicated in 1955. It has no air conditioning, so it's a bit toasty this summer day. It doesn't prevent high schoolers from participating in a summer volleyball camp. I couldn't wait to have a look around. Every seat above the court is made of wood. You know what? These seats with backs aren't really that bad, but the seats right to the right of me that are benches, they don't look that comfortable. I wonder how the seats up in the end zone corner look. It's not too bad of a hike up here. I think I spoke too soon. I am winded up here. I am on row 33, and I can see the court pretty good. But if I move to my right in seat 22, you could almost miss some action up here because there is a big steel beam right in front of me. Good thing basketball doesn't have punts or kicks. There really isn't a bad seat in this place. I would love to watch a basketball game here. And I hope I get the chance to watch a basketball game here. While I hope I am lucky enough to see a game inside the fog, Brian Haney gets to call this arena his second home. Brian is the play-by-play -play announcer for the Jayhawks. So, if Allen Fieldhouse is truly the cathedral of college basketball, every great church has stained glass. And this is the stained glass image of Mario's miracle. And this is three stories tall of Mario's big shot. And it's just outside our indoor practice facility. Something that's kind of cool we do here at Allen Fieldhouse is that every men's and women's player that ever played here, whether they played for one season or like Mitch Lightfoot had six, they all get their name and the years they were here on the wall. And something that's really special on a Big 12 conference Saturday, you'll see a gray-haired father and son walking down here trying to find daddy's name on the wall and showing him, yep, believe it or not, I actually played here too. Brian loves KU. Well, we're pretty proud of this place. I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, my dad uh, baptized me in the culture of KU basketball very early in life, and so I knew I wanted to be a Jayhawk from an early age. But he almost gave it all up. If I die tomorrow, what impact did I really have in making this world a better place? Welcome to BYU Radio's Big Stories, a show dedicated to the incredible tales surrounding the opponents of the BYU Cougars. I'm your host, Cleon Wall. In this episode, we'll focus on three stories of Jayhawk love. Love for those in need, love for your family, and love for the University of Kansas. A lot of sports junkies would have loved Brian Haney's job after graduating from the University of Kansas. Even I'm a bit jealous. So when I was 26, I was the sports director here in Lawrence, and I had a daily sports show called Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and I was doing play-by-play -play with high school sports and women's basketball at KU, and I was loving it. But Brian admits he had a quarter-life crisis. Am I really making a positive impact on this world? He wanted to do more than just be a sports guy. He thought about becoming a full-time youth pastor. And that's when I read a book called Roaring Lambs by Bob Reiner, and it changed my perspective on everything. He talks about how God elevates you to positions of influence no matter what 
working field you happen to call home, everybody has a circle of influence. Everybody has a platform to connect with others on and give back from. And at the same time I was reading this book and it was changing my, my mindset on maybe he planted me in sports casting for a reason. A local pastor approached me about trying to come up with a fundraiser to raise money for his son who was in the fight of his life battling cancer. His name was Brandon White and he was a youth pastor himself. Medical bills were mounting for Brandon and his father wondered if there was anything Brian could do to help. And his first idea was, could you do a radio-a-thon and, and auction off some memorabilia on the air? And I said, you know, I think we can do better than that. God at that point had been calling me into some bigger events type ministry with the kids I was working with. And I've always had a, a stage presence. I've always had the desire to, to put on, you know, kind of a show type thing. And I thought, what if we had a, a big celebration of KU basketball players from all eras and, and all parts of the country coming back? And yes, they would play a basketball game, but we could have all kinds of events around it. And uh, we thought, well, yeah, you know, that, that dog will hunt. We could do something with that idea. That idea led to the start of the Rock Chalk Round Ball classic. First game, though, was from very humble beginnings. You know, we sold $5 tickets and $1 hot dogs. We had maybe 16 to 18 players coming back because we didn't have the budget to fly guys in at that point. I don't think I realized until the success of the first event how many fans came out, how many people were still talking about it weeks later, that this could be an annual thing. The, the first scope of our focus was just help Brandon White. But when everybody seemed to have a great time and they asked, hey, can you get this player to come back next year? And can we possibly do more of this type of thing? I thought, man, this could be an annual tradition. We ended up making it about kids because Brandon's fight was cancer, but his passion was working with children. And so pediatric cancer became our focus after that. And fortunately now, as the game continues to grow and build, we've been able to raise $1.3 million in the last 15 years and been able to impact 72 kids as beneficiary kids. The game has turned into quite a spectacle. Current and former NBA players show up to hit the hardwood. Drew Gooden, Cole Aldrich, Ben McLemore. In next year's case, we're hoping to have Joel Embiid if he's not in the middle of the NBA Finals. It's a funny story. He actually reached out this summer after seeing all the social media and says, hey, how come I wasn't invited? And I was like, Joel, you just wrapped up the Eastern Conference Finals three days ago. I didn't think you'd want to come play in a high school gym. This year, I think when I started, they put me out there in the second half for some reason, and I had a guard, Yudoka Azubuki. Tyrell Reed is a physical therapist and a former Jayhawk basketball player. He's, you know, a seven-footer, and I have no idea why I was guarding him. So, uh-oh. <laughs> now, we've seen that a lot. Yeah, that would be... It was just pretty much free dunks for him every time the, the ball came down. But the real stars of the show are the kids with cancer. The best five minutes of the entire night is when those 50 or 60 players have formed a tunnel. The Chicago Bulls intro music, Serious by the Alan Parsons Project, starts to play. And you know what I'm talking about. It's got that build to it. Da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na, And the first kid comes out. At shooting guard, standing 30 inches tall, a one-year-old from Topeka, Raven Hayes! It has that same Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen feel, except it's with a, a four-year-old, you know, a guy that's you know, going through the fight of his life, but for those five minutes, he's not thinking about chemotherapy. For those five minutes, he's not thinking about his, his hair fell out. He, he's, he's the star of the show. It's amazing to see these kids that are going through so much 
They, they put a smile on their face. They, they're out there fighting as hard as they can, uh, essentially fighting for their lives, fighting for their families. And uh, it puts into perspective uh, what they're going through and maybe what I'm dealing with or what some of the people in the stands are dealing with. It's, it's not that big of a deal. This is Brian. My friend. That's right. This is Talia Vanicola and her mom, Nicole. Talia was one of the kids' stars back in 2019. And you saw a big Jayhawk there, didn't you? And you gave him fives. And hugs. And hugs, yes. And kisses. Oh, you did. But not kisses. Talia is energetic. I had a hard time keeping up with her. She is so happy compared with the obstacles she's faced. Before Talia was born, Nicole was told by doctors her daughter would have Down syndrome. Nicole looked to the Bible for guidance and found it in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul relates how he wants God to remove his thorn in the flesh. And God basically says no. And he says, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Greek word for perfect is teleos, and weakness is asthenia. So her name means perfect weakness, and her middle name is Grace, for the grace that's sufficient for us. So when I look at Talia, do I see God and the strength that comes from that? Yes, definitely. Then Talia was diagnosed with cancer a month after her father had a stroke. I'm not gonna lie, when I first got the news, it took me to my knees and, and I did not handle it well for that first day. And then the second day, I remembered um, that God had taken us through things before and he wasn't gonna leave me now. And so like in the cancer ward of a children's hospital, um, because of the faith that we have in Jesus, we had peace and joy in that place. Talia was a ray of sunshine while she was being treated for cancer. Um, she would be singing, she would be joyful, she would be walking through the halls and saying, hey girl, to all the nurses. <laughs> and we'd have music playing in our rooms and we would be dancing or we would be, you know, doing different things. The dancing and singing didn't make the medical bills go away. Nicole and her husband were not working and they needed a lifeline. That's when Talia was nominated for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. I'm like, oh, what is it? <laughs> And so then when I looked into it, um, I was just kind of overwhelmed that, that somebody even thought to nominate our family and was excited. And then when we found out that we were going to be part of the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic and get that funds, we knew that like certain medical bills were going to be taken care of and certain things that we needed for Talia. And I remember being overwhelmed with just just gratefulness at the good hearts of people like these none of these people were people that we knew while certainly the success stories like Talia are our favorites the kids that beat cancer and go on to live amazing lives are the ones that we love so much we never forget the kids that are called to go home to the Lord and um, end up not beating cancer and, and those kids still inspire us to this day all these kids are remembered every year annually at our game with these special retired jerseys, just like you'd see here at Allen Fieldhouse. They're actually designed to look identical to Wilt Chamberlain's jersey or Danny Manning's, and they hang 
just beyond the basketball goal there at Free State High School. And it has the kid's name and the year that they were a beneficiary. And so we, we try to remember those kids each and every year. We invite their parents back. Obviously, it doesn't make up for the fact that they're not with us, but hopefully we're reminding our fans, reminding the players with the money we're raising. It's not only easing the medical expenses and some of the other expenses that come with fighting cancer, but eventually it will make the kind of money that we can throw into the fight to curing this deadly disease. I've learned a lot from these kids, their courageousness, their fearlessness. I think Nick the Brave, uh, who was very aptly named, probably taught me the most about courageousness because his cancer came raging back three times. He thought he'd beaten it twice and it just kept coming. And finally, he passed, but his courage never wavered. His determination never wavered. That spirit of Nick the Brave was truly second to none. And that's a kid I think about every day. His picture's on my wall, and, and I think about that kid every single day. I think if Brandon White, the original beneficiary 15 years ago, uh, could, could see what it is today, and I'm sure he's smiling down from heaven, proud of what it is, um, I, I think he would be he would be happy that something that he was the inspiration for clearly has blessed so many kids, and he'd also feel like his ministry continues on to this day. Coming up next, a family's love that shows no bounds. I'm Cleon Wall, and this is BYU Radio's Big Stories. 2023 is a year to remember for Quinton and Darius Lassiter. Broken up and picked off. Quinton Lassiter with his brother on the sidelines comes up with a huge interception. Quinton is a senior cornerback for the Kansas Jayhawks. His brother Darius is playing his final season of college football as a wide receiver for the BYU Cougars. A back screen, a back catch by Lassiter. Lassiter down the far boundary, stays in bounds. 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Darius was more than happy to tell Quinton that he was going to mow him over on the field. Oh, I told him that the day I signed uh, TBYU. I remember the exact day. I think it was definitely, it's like April 3rd is when I signed, I think. Uh, I told him, as soon as I, I posted it, I called him. I said, you know you're in trouble. Yeah, it's a lot of trash talking, uh, but it's all love. We've been doing this since we was little, so we just go back and forth. Coverage, and it's caught by Darius Lassiter for a first down. How did you guys choose your positions? I kind of knew uh, corner wasn't my thing, but he he loves he loves to be physical uh, in the run. So and then he he just loves guarding people. Um, just our dad being the defensive back, um, him spending a lot of time with him it just just wore off on him. My whole family was wide receivers, obviously outside of my dad, but just going around and getting to fly around and hit people and go get the ball uh, excited me. Their dad is former Kansas Jayhawk and NFL defensive back Kwame Lassiter. Their brother, Kwame Lassiter II, played for Kansas and is now in the NFL. So Darius is the lone football-playing Lassiter not to suit up for the Jayhawks. He also has another distinction. He's originally my uh, cousin, but he's been with me since I was little. I'm originally from Newport News, Virginia. Uh, you know, we were just uh, bouncing around from, from place to place, time to time. My mom did the best she could uh, just with the resources she had. Then I would uh, go on the weekends with my, my birth father and then come back to my mom to go to school and all that. So uh, just having to break up uh, every week, um, 
it was it was different because when you have both parents there, you don't got to do all that. It's not a lot of moving around for you. So having a single single mother um, with with two other sisters, uh, you just don't get the same kind of uh, mentorship that that uh, that a father that a father role could play. Uh, I kind of was falling down the wrong path growing up. Kwame Lassiter made an offer to Darius's mother. He uh, asked he asked my mom, uh, his sister, if if he if she would be okay with. Uh, him adopting me and then coming out there living with, the, with my other future brothers. This wasn't new ground for Darius or the Lassiters. Um, Eric, that's my, that's my blood brother. He, uh, he got adopted first. He moved out there with them first and then uh, he did great out there. So it was just, uh, she, she knew that it was, it was gonna turn my life around. The move from Virginia to Arizona was not an easy one for Darius or his mother. You know, she, she was sad at first. But uh, she knew that I couldn't have all the same opportunities that I would be able to have out there. Um, she knew she was always still my birth mother at heart, um, no, matter, no matter who else took the mother and father title. Um, she, was, she was both of that for me, and um, I'm forever grateful for her. You know, I always told him he can call me Aunt Erica because that's what he was accustomed to. This is Erica Lasseter, Darius's aunt and adoptive mother. Darius has been a part of our family all his life. He would spend his entire summers here. In, in uh, black households, you're always going to be raised by family and living with family. So it wasn't really a process. It was just, you just do what you got to do and you make it happen. And we knew what needed to be done and it just kind of fell into place. So we just made it all official. Darius fit in seamlessly with his new brothers. They played a lot, they played football. They just had another teammate is the way I look at it. You know, we got somebody new on our team. They let the neighbors know and that's just how it was. No, I love everything about him, just the person he is, uh, the energy he brings when he's around people, and just overall great guy. He's more of a, he's more of a laid-back type of guy. Um, he's he's kind of the opposite of me. The thing I love growing up about him, just we, we share this, the same interests. Uh, we, we, we love to do what we do. We come out here each day with a smile on our face. It was always cool having a brother uh, on the team or at the same school as you. You know, he was on the offensive side of the ball. I was defense side of the ball. Just how it is now, but just, uh, I guess, having that comfort zone, you know what I'm saying? These guys were so comfortable with each other that they ended up going to college together. We decided our dad played at Butler Community College. He, he made it out uh, and then went to the league and, and had a, a great career. So uh, we thought that'd be best for us, too. While the two were attempting to follow in their father's footsteps, Kwame died of a heart attack. Um, it was hard at the time, um, just just losing him and then not having him see me play college ball. Uh, I had to sit out the first year, so that was hard. Actually, at the time, I was in Arizona on break when it happened, so I was glad I was uh, home. Uh, just to be comfortable with my, my mom, my brothers, all that. But going back to school, it was difficult. Having my brother there was very helpful. You know, they had to be strong and get back to school within like a few days. I was being strong for them. They were being strong for me. And I think that's pretty much how we continued on. I, I'll be honest to say, I don't know that either of us, um, whether the boys or myself has properly grieved. We just keep going and we keep moving. And, you know, we find comfort in each other the best way we know how. The boys kept grinding on the football field. Quinton continued the family tradition and committed to Kansas. He hoped his brother would follow. But Darius wasn't offered a scholarship to be a Jayhawk. 
Did Quentin try to go to bat for you, or did he give you any, like, words of encouragement when they decided, yeah, we're not going to recruit you? Yeah, he did, because uh, he was there our last year together with our, our oldest brother, so they, they were both trying to recruit at the time, but it was also during COVID, so you know how a lot of people were able to come back for another year, so just the scholarship opportunities, they, they couldn't, uh, they didn't have enough to give out at the time. What was it like when you finally weren't playing together, you know, being at Kansas and he was at, he ended up at Eastern Michigan. Uh, we would, I mean, we talked every day, um, shared each other, like how we did in practice, stuff like that. So it was kind of not a big change just cause we kept talking every day. I guess it was different not being able to play with him, but I knew that we all had the same goal. So he went to Eastern Michigan to have a, like a great season like he did. When Darius decided to leave Eastern Michigan, Quinton and Erica wanted him to give Kansas one more chance. Uh, it was kind of too late at the time for that. Uh, uh, he talked to my brother about the situation, um, but I already had in my mind that uh, I wasn't going there. Settles in the pocket and throws complete to Lassiter, and there's a first down on a third down and ten, complete to Darius Lassiter. And the Cougs move the sticks. Darius hasn't distanced himself from his birth mother, even though they are thousands of miles apart. Uh, I, I try to talk to her at least twice a week just to let her know how I'm doing. Uh, so just, just she, she's not used to me playing football, so she just loves me when I update her about football and all that. She finally got to see Darius play football in person in 2023. Only her brother Kwame were here to see him play too. Every day I'm trying to make sure that I prove him to make sure he, he thought his decision was the best decision um, that was going to help the family. So um, just having him look out for me, uh, there's nothing I can truly say. Uh, I'm always be in debt to him. Uh, it always love between me and him. When we return, paying tribute to a Lawrence legend who loved his alma mater. Welcome back to Big Stories. I'm Cleon Wall. David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium sits in a valley below the rest of the University of Kansas's campus. And like many edifices to the game of football, they honor their football greats with statues or names emblazoned on the side of a wall. As I drive around the stadium, I'm, I'm trying to find uh, the statue of John Hadle. And as I pull up, I now see the statue of Gail Sayers and John Hadel. Many football and non-football fans might know the name Gail Sayers. He had a good NFL career and was featured in the movie Brian's Song. But you might be wondering, who is John Hadel? Well, he's beloved Lawrence royalty who loved his community and his alma mater. The Hadel name is a little bit like uh, Smith and Jones in the phone book. Uh, there's a lot of Hadels in Lawrence, Kansas. John Hadle was, he was cool. This is Kansas football color commentator, David Lawrence. I mean, he's a guy that kept his cool. Uh, he did not get rattled as an athlete, as a coach. Uh, he was confident about his abilities. And I think that confidence carried over to his football teams. And, and of course he helped Kansas in so many ways you could easily uh, say that, you know, greatest football player ever. Hadel did a little of everything while playing football at Kansas. He helped us so much as an All-American his junior year playing 
running back and an All-American his senior year playing quarterback. Hadel also played defensive back, hunter, and punt returner. But as a professional football player, he played quarterback and he played it well, mainly for the San Diego Chargers. Lance Allworth out of SMU, one of the fastest guys in the league back then, and John would just throw him bombs all over the place. John would get, of course, knocked crazy back there in the pocket because, you know, quarterbacks weren't protected at all, despite the fact that the Chiefs were pretty close by. Um, yeah, I was a Chiefs fan, but I had a pennant for the San Diego Chargers in my room because I was a big fan of, of John Hadel because he was a Jayhawk. After his playing career ended, Hadel returned to his hometown and university. Isn't that cool? I mean, um, flattered from a, a Laurentian standpoint that the guy that's been in L.A. and San Diego and all the big places uh, regarding NFL football that he wanted to come back home uh, and, and help his alma mater. It was that important to him. Hadel was hired as the Jayhawks quarterbacks coach and was eventually named the offensive coordinator. David Lawrence was one of his offensive linemen. He came from the NFL, all right? So he's, he's not going to be one of those sticklers that, you know, gives you breath checks every morning, uh, threatens you about going out. He, he expected you to be responsible and behave like responsible adults, and he treated you like young adults. We went to an offense and you know, put the ball up in the air. And, you know, we that was fun to be a part of. I think fans enjoyed it. So, you know, going from not very good to being a very solid team was a lot of fun. And then Hadle was gone. He left Kansas to coach in the NFL. News reports had linked Hadle to providing improper benefits to players. Hadle denied that claim. Eventually, he was named the head coach of the USFL's Los Angeles Express. Former BYU QB Steve Young was one of his players. You know, John was very open. I ran into a lot of trouble, even at BYU, for being left-handed, being a scrambler. The oddities of my game really put people off, a lot of coaches. John just engaged me in who I was, and I really appreciated that. Hadel called his time with the LA Express a career blunder but it had nothing to do with the actual football being played on the field. The team and the football league had numerous financial problems. To be in training camp and have him up on the board, whiteboarding where everyone's going to sleep because there's no hotel. Uh, how are we going to get the bus to the stadium? Like, it was a, that part was, was a disaster. So um, I think, John, when he says a blunder, it was really just a mess of what happened when, the, when it collapsed, which was a bummer. Hadel returned again to his hometown of Lawrence and Kansas Athletics. This time, he became a fundraiser for the athletic department. John Hadel adapted to and excelled in uh, better than anyone imagined, and that's just going to these people who adored him and asking for money to help their alma mater. And no one did it as well as John. After 30 years of assisting Jayhawk athletics, he retired. It was then Kansas's return to show the football legend some love they honored Hadel with a statue. Not something that he expected, um, always very humble, never asking for anything. I mean, that was, that was just who John was. Just thrilled uh, to be able to, you know, grow old in the place where he loved and they loved him, doing what came natural to him, and that's supporting Kansas athletics. 
When you walk up right outside the Anderson Family Football Complex, you see two huge statues. One of them is Gale Sayers. They called him the Kansas Comet. Just to the left as you're going in is the statue of John Hale. It almost looks like he's passing a football to Gale Sayers. Hadle died in 2022, but his love of football, the community, and his alma mater lives on around Memorial Stadium. Is he like Mr. KU football just because he grew up here, he played here, and two times he came back here too to help this university out? John Hadle, um, yes, he, he is Mr. Kansas football. Thanks for listening to BYU Radio's Big Stories. It's produced and written by me, Cleon Wall. Music and post-production is by Kevin West. A big thanks to the Kansas Jayhawk Network and the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. Make sure you watch BYU TV's Big Stories by logging on to BYUSN.com. Big Stories is a production of BYU Radio.